Good morning. It is truly wonderful to be here this morning and to, to be with you, to share in this time of worship, to share in this time of studying, of communion, and I hope that you feel uh, as happy and blessed as I do to be here this morning. Thank you for your smiles. It's always good to, uh, to see that you're smiling faces. Uh, last, last month, we, I started a, a series of studies on, I'm entitling More About Jesus. And, you know, as this is a time that on Wednesday nights, uh, we're studying the book of John. And, and so I'm, our introduction to this morning's um, sermon study uh, is that first, uh, those first 14 verses of John, but that's an introduction. Uh, Ian did a very good job of covering uh, that chapter a few weeks back, as, as I hope you were able to, uh, to be a part of that. But I wanted to um, look specifically, or use as an introduction specifically, um, the last verse um, that Brother uh, Lonnie read for us this morning, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, we recognize those verses. We're talking about the eternal Son of God, the eternal Word who was with God in the beginning, who by Him were all things created, and without Him was not anything made that was made. But the miraculous plan of God that the Word would become flesh. You know, and last, last month we talked about uh, all of the, the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to this plan of God, that this mystery of God that would be revealed uh, in His Son Jesus. And we talked about that there was a period between the Testaments of 400 years, and we talked about God preparing the world uh, for the time that Christ would arrive. And we talked about that, that there was that, that was a period of silence where there was no prophecy given by God through the prophets. And then God broke that silence. And he broke that silence when he appeared, when, it, when his angel appeared to a man named Zacharias, who was a priest, and as he was going about his duties, and he told him that he and his wife, who were beyond the years of having children, were going to have a son that they had always hoped for, and that that son was going to be special because he was going to come in the spirit of Isaiah. He would be the forerunner of Christ to make his way straight. And so we see Zacharias' response, and because of his response, he was struck dumb until John was actually born. But now we're going to we're going to pick up following those events or in conjunction with those events to talk about uh, Jesus. And so going back again and looking at some verses from the Old Testament, we go back to the Garden of Eden and man's fall to sin. And we recognize God's plan for etern the eternal redemption of men that he prophesied when he spoke to Satan. And he said, I'm going to put enmity, enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we see that wording that the enmity between Satan and the seed of the woman. And, and we, we go further in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7 verses four, verse 14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which we, we, we understand means God with us. And so we see this mystery that God is revealing, and it is going to, and it has to do with the seed of a woman. In fact, it's it's a birth by a virgin, which in the world, in the history of the world, had never happened. Um, and 
Finally, in Galatians chapter 4, we see the Apostle Paul talking about the fulfillment of that promise when he said, when in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So all of the preparation that God had made, the fullness of time had come. And so, you know, when we look at God's plan of salvation, we recognize that God chose certain people to play specific roles in that plan. And so we go back and we look at Abraham, that God chose Abraham, and he called Abraham to go to the land of promise because it was through his descendants that he was going to be, bring the Messiah. And then we see that God chose Isaac, that Isaac was born in a miraculous way, uh, much like John the Baptist, that his parents were beyond the, the years of childbearing, but God had made them have a child in, in a miraculous way um, because he was a child of promise through whose, whose, whose descendants uh, those promises made to Abraham would come. And then we see Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and we see that God chose Jacob uh, to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we, then we see Joseph, and Joseph's part in this plan where, where Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, and eventually that brought the whole family there, and they came in as, a, as about 70 of them, and 400 years later they would exit a nation of over, over probably two million people. Um, but this was all, these were all people who were chosen by God. We see, we see Joshua, we, we see Moses, who's, who's chosen to bring the children of Israel out of captivity and to give them the law and to, to bring them to the borders of Canaan. And then we see Joshua, who's chosen to carry the mantle to bring the children of Israel and to conquer that land and to give them that land that God had promised them. And then we see Samuel, as, as the children of Israel rebel against God and they don't like the system of judges and they want a king and, and we see that, that Samuel who was, who was also of, of a so, somewhat miraculous birth and was chosen of God to be the one who would anoint the kings of Israel. First Saul and then David. He would be the anointer of David. And then we see that David was, was called by God. He was chosen by God to be be the ruler, the, the king, of, uh, the man after his own heart who would, who would lead um, the Israelites to the zenith of, of their power and of their, their success in the world and to, to be that person to whom God would promise like Abraham that through his descendants the Messiah would come. And then we see God choosing the, the prophets of the Old Testament to give them the words of the Holy Spirit to, to prophesy about the coming kingdom and the coming Christ. And then we see John, who, again, we talked about that John was chosen by God. And when it came time for the, full, the fullness of time for God's Son to be born into this world, we see some other things here in Luke chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 1, some things that God chose. The first thing that we see is when it came time for Jesus to be born into this world, that God chose his parents. And we know that when I say parents... I'm talking about Mary, his mother, and I'm talking about his, what we would say was his stepfather, not his fleshly father, Joseph, who would be the one who would raise him. We see that God chose his name. We see the prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about the things the Messiah would be called, but we would see here that, that God chooses the name that his son will wear, and he also chooses his birthplace. So 
uh, getting into this, we're going back to Luke, the first chapter. We're picking up there in verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent, to, sent by God to the city of Gal- to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So in the sixth month, we remember last month that we talked about Elizabeth was going to have a child. And so um, she became pregnant. And so we're at this six, six months means it. So it's six months after this. So Gabriel had appeared to Zacharias and uh, told him that they were going to have a child. Well, six months later... God sends Gabriel in God's perfect timing to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, you know, we talked about that period of time between the Testaments and that after that period, when we open the New Testament, what used to be Israel in the northern and southern kingdoms are now three provinces of what is referred to as Palestine. And the southern of those provinces is Judea, and Judea is primarily inhabited by Jews, by Jewish people. Uh, the, the middle province is what's called Samaria. And if you were here, here on Wednesday, Ian talked about the fact, that, and we've talked about recently, that the Jews did not like to go to Samaria because they were those half-breed Jews who half-worshipped God according to the law of Moses, but also inter, had a lot of pagan uh, ideas and practices that were interwoven with their, in their religious beliefs. And uh, also there was just enmity between those peoples. And, and Ian talked about the racism that existed there. But, but when, so when people traveled, they usually, Jews did not want to go through Samaria. They would, go, they would uh, go east of the Jordan River and go around Samaria to get up to what? The northern province, which was called Galilee. And Galilee had a mixture of inhabitants. It had some Jewish people, and it also had a lot of, of Greek or Gentile people who lived there. So they lived together there in Galilee. And when uh, the word Galilee, when the actual meaning refers to uh, the heathen, that this, the circle of the heathen is kind of what Galilee meant. Um, it, was, it was the area of the pagans that, that uh, was for, refer, referred to by the Jews. And so even though there were faithful Jewish people in Galilee, those in Judea really looked down on them too. They were, that, they were considered, you know, you know, kind of the outpost up there. They were uh, kind of the hicks. That was, in our modern vernacular, we would say that was flyover country, <laughs> you know. That, to the elites of the day, these, these were not sophisticated people, those people who lived up in Galilee. And even further removed, we would say, were people who were from Nazareth and uh, Nazareth was a very obscure town. In fact, when if in the uh, writings of Josephus, he names some 200 towns in Galilee, but not once does he name Nazareth. So it, it was a, an obscure town. And we know that when Nathaniel uh, was, was uh, told that, um, to come and see Jesus of Nazareth, his response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was looked at. Uh, and referred to as a place that was despised. So, so of all the places that God would choose for his son to grow up, probably from a human standpoint, Nazareth would probably be the last place we think God would choose. But God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the mighty. As we would say, God doesn't do things according to our, our plans, but according to his but he sends the angel to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, God's, Gabriel was first sent 
to Zacharias. Where was Zacharias? He was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple. Now he's going to, we would say the other extreme, he's going to that, that outplace, that outpost uh, called Nazareth. To a virgin, <clears throat> whoops, so uh, yeah, just quickly, so uh, this is not as cool a map as what Ian and, and Justin have had recently, but uh, let's see if I can get them a pointer. Right. There we go. So anyway, we see where Nazareth is up here. So it's up here in this, again, the northern uh, province uh, of Galilee. So that's just a quick look at where that is. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So there's a couple of things that the Holy Spirit tells us right off. And they, first of all, he, he says that the, Holy, that the angel was sent to a virgin. Well, why is that important? Well, knowing the, the prophecies that we've just read, we understand why that's important. Because that this was a sign that was going to be given to people that a virgin would be with child. And so the Holy Spirit twice in, these, in this verse, in these verses, points out the fact that Mary was a virgin, and also that she was espoused, she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, who was of the house of David. So that's also important, isn't it? Because we know that the Messiah was going to come through the descendants of David, and what we'll also learn from Luke later on is that not only was Joseph a descendant of David, but also was Mary. <clears throat> Mary and Joseph, uh, if we think about the kind of people that they were, number one, they were they were common people. Uh, they, they were not extraordinary people. They were, even though they were descendants of David, they did not, they did anything but live in royalty. Um, and they did not, and, and they, um, they were common people. Joseph was a carpenter. He had, he learned a trade and, and carpentry at that time was, was not uh, the greatest of of uh, trades to have. I mean, it was probably very hard to find work as a carpenter at that time. Um, Mary would have been, according to custom, she would have been probably in her teens, probably mid, mid to possibly late teens, but she was a teenager. And she was, again, they were very common people. Uh, they lived in this obscure village, again, in, in Galilee called Nazareth. Um, and the, the other thing we'll notice about them is they were poor. Uh, and you say, well, how do you know that? Well, the scripture tells us later on that when it came time, according to the law of Moses, after a male child was born, after a period of 40 days, um, that the, the mother was to go to the temple and she was to take a lamb and a, a young pigeon or turtle dove as offerings to the priest to be offered for, uh, for uh, her atonement. Um, following those days of cleansing, though that 40-day period, and when, but the law also made room for those who could not afford, for those who were too poor to offer a lamb, that they could bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And when Mary and Joseph, the Scripture tells us specifically, when they came to make this offering, that they did not bring a lamb; they brought the the, the offering that was allowed by the poor. And so, so we understand that Jesus. When God chose his, his parents, he chose common people, but they were also people who were poor. Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be made rich. And we, you know, when we read this verse, we understand that, that this is referring to primarily to Jesus 
the eternal word leave it, leaving the riches of heaven to become human, uh, to become poor, to become to take on himself the form of a servant. But not only was it in that manner, but literally Jesus in this world lived a life of poverty, that he was born into a poor family, and that is in the time of his ministry that we find that he did not have, he never owned a, a place of his own. He never had a place to lay his head. And when, it, when he was crucified, the only belongings that he had were the clothes that he wore. His bequeath to us, though, our eternal riches, the greatest riches that we could ever imagine. That he left the splendor of heaven to become poor, to become like us, so that we could inherit the, the eternal riches with him. <clears throat> and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So, <laughs> I... We talked about last month. I've never seen an angel. I, I would not know how I would respond if I saw an angel. Um, but we saw Zacharias' response, that he was, he was terrified. And we can imagine that there was this, Mary was a little bit startled herself. Uh, but the greeting of the angel is, Rejoice, highly favored one, blessed are you among women. <clears throat> we're going to talk about God chose Mary, and we're going to talk about some characteristics that Mary had I can't tell you specifically if all of these or part of these are specifically why God chose Mary, but I think that we can learn from some of these characteristics, some characteristics that we can emulate so that we too can be of purpose, that we too can, uh, can be used by God in service here. The first one we want to note about Mary is that she was a godly woman and a person of faith. You say, well, how do you know that from that verse? Well, I know that because she had found favor with God, and, I, and it's, I'm making the, uh, the assumption that if she were not a godly person and a person of faith, that God would not have chosen Mary. And I think we'll see that play out as we go through. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So again, she, <clears throat> Mary is most likely in her mid to late teens. She's grown up in an obscure village called Nazareth. She lives in poverty. She is, she is engaged to be married. She probably is making plans toward that. The last thing she probably ever thinks she's going to see is an angel. But she does. This angel appears to her. And as the angel appears and she, he speaks these greetings to her, you're, you're most blessed among women, he, she was troubled at his saying, what is he talking, what does this mean? She's considered what manner of greeting this was. And the thing we're going to learn about Mary, he not only here but later, is that she was very contemplative. She was a very thoughtful person and a reasoning person. And we see that as things happened, she reasoned, she thought about how these things played in to God's will and how her role played into God's will. She was a contemplative. She was a thoughtful and reasoning uh, person. You know, we, we see later after the angel, after the shepherds are told by the angels to come into to Bethlehem and that the Savior has been born and that, you know, they're there in the stable and the shepherds come and they reveal all these things to Mary and, and there's great rejoicing. Um, it says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart, that she was always thinking about what was happening in God's will and the, the role that she played in that and, and how all these things were being brought about. And then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. So again, uh, 
the natural response would be to be afraid. And so we always see that admonition from the angels. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and call his name Jesus. So the second point that we want to make is that God chose uh, his name. God chose what his son would be called. And he called, he said his name would be called Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about uh, when Joseph learns about this plan, and he is told to na- that the, the child's name will be Jesus. He's told because he will save his people from their sins. And so we see in Jesus' name his mission and the specific name that God gave to him for that, that Jehovah saves, that he will save his people from his sins. We also remember the names that God told us about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Specifically, we talked, we remember Emmanuel, that God is with us. God, Emmanuel, he'll be called Emmanuel. When the virgin has a son, it will be called Emmanuel or God with us. And we think about how, what all that means in relation to what John chapter 1 tells us about the eternal word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. But we also, you know, I think it was uh, McGarvey in his commentaries who said, you know, nature teaches us that God is above us. The law of Moses taught us God against us, but the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that God is with us and for us, and praise God for that. And we also remember Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 that says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all of these things described who this child would be. And the angel continues talking to Mary and says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So all of these prophecies that have been carved out and placed, scattered as seed through the Old Testament about the person of the Messiah, all of that is revealed to Mary. And so Mary is hearing all of this. Um, And again, Mary is a descendant of David. So certainly she recognizes the verbiage and what is being said here and and the announcement that this is the Messiah, this is the promised one, the the Son of God. The next, so the next thing we're talking about, the characteristics of Mary, was that she was a descendant of David. And so that was specifically from a prophetical standpoint, that, w- that was essential. But we also will find out that she knew the scriptures. Um, during that time, according to custom, it was only male children who went to, um, to, to school, who learned Hebrew and who learned the scriptures. But we're going to see later we won't talk about it, but look at the verses specifically this morning, but when, uh, when Mary talks to Elizabeth that she, in her, her joy and exultation about what has happened, she will refer, or she will, she will entwine in her speech many Old Testament quotations uh, from, from, the, uh, from the Psalms. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? So the implication here is that when the angel says these things, Mary understands them to mean that this pregnancy will be immediate. That this, and she says, she says, how can this be? This, there's no way that I can have a child. There's no way 
that I could be pregnant. And the angel answers and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One which is, will be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And now this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. So what Mary is saying is, there's no way that I could be pregnant. I, I am a virgin. This, there is no way that that could happen. And the angel's response is this. Understand what I've just told you. The child that you're going to have is an ordinary child. This is the promised Messiah of God. This is the promised one. This is the eternal word that will be made flesh. It is only in a supernatural way that that could happen. It's only in a supernatural way that that eternal God could become flesh. And so understand, Mary, that the person of the son that you will have is eternal God. That he is the eternal word. Yeah, that is the, that is the being of, of this person. His physical body will be a supernatural creation of God in you. <clears throat> that is the only way that God, that, that this thing could happen. And then he goes on to talk about, and he says, you're Elizabeth, you're relative Elizabeth, which we assume maybe to be a cousin, but we don't know for sure. But she was a relative of Mary. She says she has conceived in her old age. So against the laws of nature, she was, she was going to have a child. Why? By the power of God. And in the same way, you know, God who created the laws of nature can, can, is the only one who can supersede the laws of nature. And so in a miraculous way, through the workings of God, the, the physical earthly body of the Messiah will be created in Mary. Because with God is nothing impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So think about all of the things that, have just, that Mary has just had to absorb. <clears throat> Again, as, as we look at the characteristics of Mary, we, we see that she was, she was a godly young woman and a believer. She was a person of thought and reasoning. She was a descendant of David. She knew the scriptures. She was humble. And we see here that she was submissive to God's word. Or she was obedient. <clears throat> but for Mary the abstract had just become very personal. You know, if you think about that, she knew the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. She knew the prophecies about the Messiah. But now, it wasn't that she only knew those scriptures, but she was suddenly a, a part of that plan, wasn't she? When, when the scripture talked about that in a very abstract way that a virgin would conceive, she now realizes that that is her the abstract had become very personal. And she was a part of God's, God's plan, and her life would never be the same. The things that she probably dreamed of and thought of as she grew up in Nazareth and, and that she had become engaged and was going to, to uh, be married and have a family of her own, and she probably thought about how those things would go, and, and she would bring up her children and her family in a godly way according to the law of the, of the Jewish people. But suddenly her world had been turned upside down and everything was changed. But you know, that is the way of all of us who encounter Jesus Christ. The abstract becomes personal, doesn't it? You know, I think about Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, the guy who climbed the tree when Jesus was coming by? 
because he wanted to see Jesus, who he was. And he was up there in the tree, and Jesus in the crowd thronging around him is going by, and suddenly Jesus looks up because he knows where Zacchaeus is. And he says, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, who had only wanted to see who Jesus was, suddenly is not only seeing Jesus, but Jesus sees him. And Jesus is calling him by name. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, for I must, I must dine at your house today. I, I want to come to your house. And, you know, that's the same way that Jesus is with us, that to become a Christian, the abstract has to become very personal, doesn't it? <clears throat> we have to understand and believe who the Son of God is and be willing to let that turn our lives upside down, <clears throat> to change our lives forever, to recognize the eternal purpose that God has in him and in us through him. <clears throat> so Mary's life just changed forever, but we see her willingness to do that. We talked about that she was a contemplative person, that she thought all of this through, and she understood the circumstances that she was going to subject herself to in this calling that God had for her. Now we're going to jump over to Matthew for just a minute. So we've seen the announcement to Mary. Now we're going to see what Matthew describes these events only through the eyes of Joseph. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then her husband, being a just man <clears throat> and not wanting to put her up, make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So what has happened in the meantime? So we, when we close the, the narrative that we just read there in Luke, we see that Mary has been told of the, God, the plan that God has for her, and she has willingly submitted to what it was God called her to. If we continued reading there, on, there in Luke chapter 1, we'll find that what Mary did immediately, it says that she left Nazareth and she went down to Judea to see Elizabeth. You know, you think about this. <clears throat> think about what had just happened to Mary. Who could, who could you possibly explain that to? Who could you confide in in what the angel had just told you? Well, probably to Mary, the person whom she knew she confide, could confide in confide in was Elizabeth <clears throat> because Elizabeth was going through something very similar wasn't she and so we find that she goes down there and she when Elizabeth greets her it says that the baby John in her womb leaps in her womb at the recognition of the person that is being carried by Mary that that he, he recognizes it as the son of he recognizes him as the son of God and as does Elizabeth as she as she announces to Mary without any explanation that the understanding that the one that she carried was the eternal, the eternal Son of God, the, the Messiah. And it says that Mary stayed there for, until right up to the time that, that Elizabeth was delivered, to deliver, which was a period of three months. So Mary has left Nazareth and she's gone down to Judea and she's been there for three months. And now right before John is born, she comes back to Nazareth. And so what probably has become apparent in that three-month period of time is that Mary is with child. <clears throat> and obviously, Joseph has become aware of this, and probably other people have become aware of this. And so Joseph is probably devastated because the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not Mary tried to explain to him the circumstances by which she was with child. <clears throat> but again, 
how easy would that be to explain to anyone? And whether Joseph was aware of that or not, if, he probably had a very hard time believing it. And so he, he, he thought the worst, that she had been, un, in that time that she was away, she had been unfaithful to him. And so now he was considering his options, and his options were he could go along with this, but, you know, I'm sure he felt he, felt vi- he would feel violated that he could, there wasn't something he could just overlook if she had been unfaithful to him. And so that just, just carrying on as normal was, was not an option to him. And he considered, you know, the, the law of Moses prescribed that this person could be put to death. And that wasn't something that he wanted. And then he probably considered, well, I, could, I can divorce her and I can do it in a very private way. And so that is what Joseph has concluded that he must do in this situation, that he was going to, in a very private way, not to further disgrace Mary, was to, was to divorce her. Which brings us to something else about Mary. <laughs> Mary was a very contemplative person. She recognized the situation this was going to put her in. But she was willing to suffer for the righteous cause, to, do, to carry out the will of God in her life. <clears throat> Again, you see, the, you see the confusion that this causes with Joseph, and it, and it certainly causes the whispers of other people. And again, how can she possibly explain that? And so this is something she's going to have to live with. <clears throat> she's going to have to bear this burden of ridicule and, and, and gossip and rumor um, to carry out what God has called her to. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so whether Mary had tried to explain this to Joseph or not, now the Lord is revealing directly to Joseph that this is what is happening. And, this, and Matthew says, through the Holy Spirit, So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And so we think about Joseph now. We think about the stepfather of Jesus, and that God chose Joseph. And we, so some characteristics that we see in Joseph, number one, the scripture says he was a just man or he was a righteous man. He sought to be righteous. He sought to do the right things in the right way. He, thought, he sought, thought to do, sought to do the right thing according to what he was called to do by God and according to the law. He was merciful. He obviously loved Mary, and he, even though he felt probably devastated by what he, what he thought was a, uh, her unfaithfulness, uh, he still sought to be merciful to her. Uh, he was a man of faith and obedience. When, when it is revealed to him by the message of God, the circumstances, he accepts those things, and he is obedient to, <clears throat> to God in, in taking Mary to be his wife. And like Mary, he also was willing to suffer for a righteous cause, that not only would, would this... Uh, these whispers and rumors uh, affect Mary, but it would affect him also as her husband. <clears throat> and it came to pass in those days, so now we're going to go back to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to skip ahead. So time has passed. So Mary and Joseph are together, 
and the period of time has passed now that we're, we're almost nine months. So John has been born, um, and we get to Luke chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place where, while Carinus was governing in Syria. So that kind of gives us a time frame of when these events occurred. But <clears throat> I think what's important for us to understand is um, this idea that Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world at the time, had about uh, taking a census was not his idea at all. <clears throat> but this was God's providence, wasn't it? Because you see, one of the... Um, prophecies of the Old Testament said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Um, and we, we, uh, we'll, we'll read that verse here in just a second. It says, but, So all went to be registered, everyone, according to uh, this decree, to his own city or the, his ancestral city. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So again, we see uh, here's Nazareth. And so they're going to make this long journey uh, of about 90 miles down here to Bethlehem. So this would have been probably a five or six day journey with Mary, um, probably almost nine months uh, pregnant at this time. <clears throat> but, you know, you think about that. I mean, God could have chosen Someone in Bethlehem, couldn't he? He might could have chosen. But again, this, refer, this kind of points us to the kind of the special characteristics that, that Mary and Joseph had in their choosing. But we also see God's providence that despite the obstacles that are there, his will is going to be done. Everything he's promised is going to happen according to his plan. God chose Bethlehem because it was the city of David. It was the place of David's birth and the place that David was anointed this was the son of David, the descendant of David, the promised one who was called to sit on his throne, the eternal kingdom of God. <clears throat> Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. So the promise that the Messiah, the promised one, would be born in Bethlehem. And so... That's the reason there was a census. That's the reason that Joseph and Mary had to travel that 90 miles um, because it was a sign. It was a sign to those who were looking a fulfillment of God's prophecy. And finally, Bethlehem's meaning is house of bread and how appropriate that he who is the bread of life was born in a place called the house of bread. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. In this very short, this very short verse, um, these very short verses, the scripture tells us about when the word was made flesh in a very simple way. It doesn't tell us about the arduous journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It doesn't tell us the specific date or the specific month uh, that this happened. It doesn't even tell us how they ended up in a, in a stable because, as the scripture said, there was no room at the inn, which is a sad commentary on, on, on humanity, isn't it? That when the eternal Son of God came, that there was no place for him in the inn. 
And it's true also that in the, in the hearts of many, there is no place for him. But hopefully in, in my heart and in your heart, God has found a dwelling place eternally for his son. But what was important, because the Holy Spirit didn't deem any of those other things necessarily as important enough. But what was important was the announcement that the angels made shortly after this. To the shepherds who were in a field nearby, who were, who were attending their flocks, and suddenly an angel appeared to them, and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What was important was that the fullness of time had come. The Word had become flesh. The Savior was born hopefully this there's been something in the lesson this morning that has been encouraging to you uh, as it has to me you know the when we started when Lonnie read there in the book of John John chapter 1 verses verse 11 says he came to his own and his own did not receive him but as many as received him to them gave he the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's the reason that Jesus came into this world, that he became flesh, that he lived a life as a human being to be made like us as his brethren too, destined for the cross, for the burial and for the resurrection and for the right hand of the throne of God, that you and I could have eternal life through him. If you've never obeyed Jesus, if you've never been buried with him in baptism if you would do that this morning if we can assist you in any other way we would invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected